Okay, so we want to talk about a drink becoming a river. And, um, and the reason I want to talk about that is over the past few weeks in my travels and various places I minister in Canada, states, overseas, uh, I'm becoming aware of something that seems common in every place. So if you give me a chance, we'll get to that near the end. So uh, the drink is salvation. And the scripture is found in John chapter 4. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. It's a familiar story to everybody. So John chapter 4, and we start at verse 13. Jesus says, if you drink from Jacob's well, which is where he's sitting, is where the well that Jacob actually built in Genesis, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. I like that version. That was prophesied in the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 12, verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The well is inside of you. And so when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he releases the very life of God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. But that version I just read said it was a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. So when you get born again, God pours his very life and nature into you, into your born-again spirit, and just as importantly, it, it continues to spring up and completely saturate your insides. It floods you with life. But it also floods you with love because Romans 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so when God floods us with endless life, when God floods us with his love, changes begin to happen. That's what it means to be born again. You're going to change. And so we become new creatures in Christ. Or the Passion Translation says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. I like that, enfolded into Christ. So what he's saying there is you're no longer living in the flesh, but you're living by the Spirit. You're no longer walking by sight, but you're walking by faith or by the Spirit. You're no longer in the domain of darkness. You're now in the kingdom of light. You're no longer in bondage to sin. You've now been freed by the power of God. So a new creature is someone who has been changed, transformed, altered. You're different and you're free. That's what he means when he says, for when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. So that's a description of salvation. That's the well of salvation that the prophet Isaiah prophesied. However, the water, the drink, is supposed to turn into more water, which is called the river, and that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is speaking to a crowd on the last day of a very special religious holiday. It's John chapter 7 in your version, um, verses 37 to 39. 
All the thirsty ones come to me, come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. And Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. So this second encounter with the Holy Spirit gives you rivers, not just a well of water, but a river of living water. In fact, rivers, plural. And that encounter enables us to minister with supernatural power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said to his people, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That promise was made in Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you and fills you with life. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're clothed. Your clothes are on the outside. So you have power all over you on the outside. Jesus repeats himself in Acts 1.5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's where we get the title, Baptized in the Holy Spirit, from. And then the purpose of the baptism and the purpose of the power is found three verses later. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So please note... You don't do witnessing. You are a witness. Your whole life is a witness. The way you live, the way you talk, the way you relate to people, the way you forgive, your attitude, your actions, your whole life is a witness. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is supposed to be, for all of us who are born again, a very powerful event leading to a supernatural lifestyle that will be a witness. If you just live a natural lifestyle and you're just a good person, like a Mormon or like a Muslim, then that's not what Jesus is talking about because he's talking about a supernatural lifestyle. The baptism in the Holy Spirit gives you that supernatural ability, which is why it said rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being. Rivers will burst out. I don't feel like I'm bursting out. I don't know how you feel. That river, those rivers that are in you, were prophesied in the writing of the prophet Ezekiel. And I'll prove it to you in a minute. Ezekiel 47. Now he brought me back to the entrance. This was a vision that Ezekiel the prophet had of God doing something in the future. It's prophetic. I saw water pouring out from under the temple porch to the east. The temple faced east. The water poured from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then took me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the gate complex on the east. The water was gushing from under the south front of the temple. And he walked me to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, and by now it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. And he said, Son of man, have you had a good look? Then he took me back to the riverbank, and while sitting on the bank, I noticed a lot of trees on both sides of the river, 
And he told me, this water flows east, descends to the desert, and then into the sea, the sea of stagnant waters. That's the Dead Sea, by the way. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt water, salt sea, into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Everybody know the story? Good. At why I connected John 7, Jesus' comments on the last day of the great feast in Ezekiel 47, is because where it says rivers of living waters will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, the original language says rivers of living waters will flow from his throne within you. So Ezekiel was prophesying the baptism in the Holy Spirit and that the rivers would flow from our innermost being, would burst out, burst forth, and go out into the world. So the water from the throne in Ezekiel's vision is coming from you, because you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, in case you don't know the verse. So you no longer just have a well of living water that satisfies your thirst. You now have rivers, plural, of living water that can and should touch everything and everyone that you encounter as you live a life that is a witness of Jesus. That's why it says burst forth. It just flows like a dam breaking. So because of that, you can now literally be the ambassador of the kingdom and a minister of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as a result of that, rivers of living waters flowing out from our innermost being, from the temple of the Holy Spirit that is within us, we can move in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you know that. Now we can touch lives for Jesus. We can actually impact people, influence people, and bring transformation. But you know that. And now... In our daily lives, we can truly be ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors for the kingdom. We can be ministers of reconciliation. We could go on. You'd be the priesthood of all believers. You can be a holy nation. So there's a problem because we're not living the truth that we possess. We have made salvation, that drink of water, the well, all about us. In some ways, it is about us. I mean, we were sinners in need of a Savior, separated from God. While still sinners, God the Father sent His Son to die for our sins. When we came to believe, we were convicted of sin, had godly sorrow. Um, we repented and received forgiveness. And then He gave us the gift of eternal life, which is to know God, the supernatural ability to have a relationship with God. So it is all about us. When we became born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, and we have life. So we have a personal relationship with God, and that's a private matter between you and God. It's personal. It's life-giving. It moves you from spiritual death to spiritual life. It brings deliverance. It brings freedom. You find out that you're really loved, accepted, and forgiven. You can be healed. It's a very personal experience between you and God. 
and it's a receive mode. You actually just receive it all. It's downloaded in your life. The problem is we've made it a private matter, not just a personal matter. So we don't talk about it because it's between you and God. And yet it's not a private matter because you were born into the family of God. You were born to have fellowship with the Father and with one another. You are born again into the church, the bride of Christ. You get baptized publicly to acknowledge that now you are part of the body of Christ worldwide. So although it's personal and it is about me or you, it's not private. That's important. I'll come back to that. When you have the second encounter, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not about you at all. It's all about them. Those who don't know Jesus. Those who are not part of the church family. Those who live in the city that you live in without hope and without real life. Again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is personal. It's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It empowers you. It enables you. It imparts spiritual gifts that then need to be released in you. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, they are for the common good. They're not for you. God uses the gift through you to impact the people who don't know him yet. So you're no longer self-centered like when you were born again. You're now other people-centered. You're no longer in receive mode. You're now in give mode. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit moves you outside of yourself to a place where the unsaved become your focus. Because now you can touch life supernaturally with the love of Jesus. So you become, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You become a worker in the harvest field. You become a disciple maker. You become a fisher of men. You become a witness for Jesus. You become an ambassador of the kingdom. You're empowered to be a minister of reconciliation. Here's the problem. Most people, even though they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, slide back into me mode, not other mode. It's like it's a default. We immediately come back into me. So we again, we've made the baptism in the Holy Spirit all about me. Now I can pray in tongues. That's not even a gift of the Spirit listed in the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not saying it's not from God. I'm just saying it's not that important according to the supernatural living style of the Spirit gave us in 1 Corinthians 12. So we have a private prayer language and now it's about me again. I can pray in tongues where really it's all about the other people and I can use nine gifts, which praying in tongues isn't one of them, to touch their lives with the love of God. So we've taken the baptism of the Holy Spirit and done the same thing we did with salvation. We've made it all about me. So we've missed the purpose of the experience. So maybe you don't think that, but I think that. So my experience, limited though it may be, we have people trying to impact the lives of other people without the supernatural power and the gifts of the Spirit. They're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Many denominations are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, so they have words 
but they have no miracle signs and wonders to back up the words. So they have no proof that their message is real. Or as Romans 15 would say, they've done half the job. We have people who receive the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and don't use their prayer, private prayer language and don't flow in the supernatural gifts. So they had an encounter, they had an experience, whoopee, it's done. We have people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and simply pray in the Spirit, but don't flow in the gifts and never tell other people about Jesus. So you miss the purpose of the experience, which is to be a witness. And we have people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues and witness to others, but don't take advantage of the gifts. So you're doing everything in the natural. And then we have people who are moving in the gifts of the Spirit and seeing people impacted with the gospel. So that's one end of the stick right to the other end of the stick. People who don't have the experience, people who do have the experience and don't do anything with it, people who have the experience and pray in tongues and nothing else, people who have the experience, pray in tongues and witness, but don't use the supernatural gifts. And then you have a few people who are literally doing what it was meant to be done with, which was to use it to witness to other people supernaturally. And so what I'm noticing is this last group of people, the people who are really using the gifts of the Spirit and who understand the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power they had and the encounter they experienced, they tend to be the young people. And they're very intentional about telling others about Jesus. They actually think about it, they pray about it, they work at doing it. Um, they're intentional about using the gifts. They grow by doing and by being actively involved in reaching the lost. They don't wait till they know how to do it. They go out and try and they fail. And then they analyze what they did and then they try again. Sometimes they have somebody like us to help them. Sometimes they don't. I've discovered that these people are the ones who walk by faith and not by their feelings because your feelings will keep you from doing this all the time. They're focused on the lost. They believe that the Great Commission is a command, not an option. And because it's a command, it needs to be obeyed. Do you realize that the Great Commission was mentioned in five different books of the New Testament? I think God had a point. These people look for or make opportunities in which to share the gospel. They anticipate and expect things to happen. And they want to see the river get deeper and wider as it flows out from the church. That's my observation. That a lot of people my age can pray in tongues, but they're flat-bottomed. They sit. That's about all they do. But the young people are picking this up and beginning to understand its purpose and are running with it. Even though they haven't had the experience yet, and even because they're going to, because they're going to do it. And because most of them have not even been trained. Here's my other observation. These people who have been born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and understand the purpose, and are therefore out there trying, they are happy believers. They don't complain. In fact, they're happy and content with what they have. They're fulfilled in their walk with Jesus. They're excited about being a believer. They're regularly talking about how wonderful Jesus is. 
They are excited about being with other believers when they can come together and worship and learn together. They're giving life to others. They're not sucking life out of others. And they're enjoyable and exciting to be around. And people really like spending time with them. It's really amazing. These young people, maybe there's some old people in it, they took a drink and the drink became a river. And they went fishing. And everywhere this river goes, there's life. So now I've said all that to remind you, to refresh your memory regarding what we believe. We believe that there is a second encounter with the Holy Spirit that comes after salvation. We actually believe that. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that that encounter is to empower and enable us to move in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in everyday life, in our conversations, and in the connections we have. We believe that we've been called and chosen to tell others about Jesus and do so with words and deeds, with supernatural gifts, signs, and wonders, or as Paul said, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit. We believe that every believer is called to follow Jesus, and in so doing, they become fishers of men, and they'll do what Jesus did. We believe that the Great Commission is the Lord's directive to his church, and thus all of us who call upon the name of the Lord must be reaching others. We believe that we're workers in the harvest field, and that Jesus is counting on us to do the work that he left us to do. And we believe that it is possible to take the gospel of the kingdom to every nation in the world, in one generation. And it's even more possible now with the internet and planes. And we believe that God will use each and every person who says, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Our problem is we're not using what we've got. And one day God's going to say, so what did you do with what I gave you? So we've all taken a drink, but we need the drink to become a river. <clears throat> Around the world, the churches that say they're spirit-filled and therefore should be in the river, they should be moving in the gifts and talking to people and impacting them with the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, prophecy, um, they're not doing it. And we're slowly sliding to becoming a Baptist church. We believe in being born again. But you know, we believe in more than that. We believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit, jumping into the river and having that river flow out from us. And that should make us so totally different than any other form of Christian on the planet. And I'd like us to turn around and go back to that. So that it becomes very evident that we are spirit-filled believers. That we actually believe what I just said. So I know we believe it in our heads, but are we living it in our lives? A good question. I see young people around the world struggling for lack of discipling, for lack of mentoring, for lack of leaders. Um, but they're, they're, they're stepping into this river and they're making a lot of mistakes, but they're getting a lot of people saved. 
And yet we sit with so much knowledge and so much understanding and sometimes so much experience of it. So I'd like us to give a lot of thought to allowing the river to be released and seeing what would happen if we actually consciously thought about um, moving in the gifts and living supernaturally every day. If we just intentionally did it, and thought about it, prayed about it, instead of just going about life the way everybody who doesn't know Jesus goes about life. And I would like some feedback. Please.